Welcome back to another Faith in the Outdoors podcast with Sean McVeigh. This is the final Faith in the Outdoors podcast, probably indefinitely. I will explain why in this video. I'll also explain why do I have a green screen hanging behind me. I'll explain that. I'll also talk about papal infallibility, what that means, where that comes from. I'll talk about what does it mean that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man, and why do Catholics pray to saints? Because there's a lot of people who have an issue with that because of Jesus being the only mediator, but that's actually due to an, a misunderstanding. So I'm going to address that. Um, I will also address why I'm wearing this Eagles new Eagle sweatshirt. So let's go ahead and get into it. And as always, we're going to start with prayer. We'll pray to our Father in heaven in the name of his Son, Jesus, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Father in heaven, I ask for you to guide us in life and help us Always seek you and the fullness of truth, the fullness of truth that can only be found in the Catholic Church. And Lord, there are people who disagree with that and have a problem with that. And I pray right now that you will give them the grace to at least one day be able to see clearly past the things that have blocked them or prevented them from being able to grasp what I just said that the fullness of truth is found in the Catholic Church. I pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so that's the the whole, and I mentioned this in the very beginning of the Faith in the Outdoors podcast. This is the new evangelization. This podcast is an expression of the new evangelization. What is the new evangelization? It has been called for by the Catholic Church for decades, and it is calling us to bring the true teachings of the church, the even, even ancient teachings of the church, bring them into our current society to re-educate people on them, to inspire people with them, and to call people with them. People who aren't Catholic, we are to seek to inspire them to want to be Catholic. People who are fallen away Catholic, we are seeking to reinvigorate their faith or simply light a fire for the first time as a Catholic. So that's what it's all about. That's what the new evangelization is about. And uh, the the new evangelization is, for me, it's an expression of who I am as a person. Who am I? I am a baptized child of the Almighty God. And I follow God through the teachings of the Catholic Church, which I do believe has the fullness of faith that has been revealed to us by God. So it has the fullness of truth. The original evangelization was basically proclaiming Jesus to people who had never heard of Jesus. And the response to accepting Jesus is to request and receive the sacrament of baptism. And if you didn't know that, read the book of Acts, and you will see very clearly that the response for anyone who wants to become a follower of Jesus is to request and receive baptism, which is washing with water in the name of God the Father, Jesus' Son, and the Holy Spirit with the intention of baptizing that person into the community of God, the family of God. So you become a child of God. Whether you knew this or not, what I'm about to say is very profound. When we are born, we are born as a part of God's creation. But when we are baptized, we become sons and daughters adopted sons and daughters of the Almighty God. That's God's plan for salvation. So when we are born, we are not adopted children of the Almighty God. 
We become adopted children through baptism. So baptism is key, and that's why it is vital, crucial, and important for anyone who wants to be a follower of Jesus to be baptized. And that's why Jesus said, in, as is recorded in Mark 16, 16, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, and whoever does not believe will be condemned. And obviously, if they don't believe, they're not going to request and receive baptism, which is very connected to why they will be condemned. So it is a necessary part of the response. And again, read the book of Acts. Everybody was baptized who became a follower of Jesus. Even St. Paul, who was putting to death Christians and persecuting Christians for being followers of Jesus, the very first thing he did after having this experience, he had a direct encounter with Jesus Christ, the Almighty, and he was knocked to the ground, went blind, and God sent his representative from his church to, to Paul, who prayed over Paul, and Paul regained his sight, and the very first thing Paul did before even eating was get himself baptized to become a follower of Jesus. So uh, we see that as the necessary response. Again, read the book of Acts. But we're being baptized into the family of God. That's what this is all about. So if you're not baptized and you heard that for the first time, and you want to be a follower of Jesus who loves you and gave his life for you, then it is time to go to the church, to the, go to a Catholic church, to request and receive the sacrament of baptism. Now, now that I'm talking about that, you know what, I'm going to interject this since um, it came up in some comments recently, and I didn't intend to address it in this episode, but I'm going to add it in right here. The reason why non-Catholics can baptize is that it does not require an ordained minister of the church, which would be a bishop, priest, or deacon, it doesn't require an ordained person to perform a baptism. Anyone, even a non-baptized person, if it's an emergency, can baptize with water in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that's why not only is baptism necessary for salvation, but God created this sacrament in a way that anyone could do it for the purpose of salvation. And I've even heard stories of a priest. Like I'll give you an example of a priest in the religious order I used to be a part of. He was on the highway and all the cars stopped because there was a major car accident. He jumps, he just, he just didn't even think. He jumps out of his car. He had holy water. He grabbed it. And by the way, I always keep holy water. I got a bottle of it right here on the table. I keep a bottle in the car in case something like this ever happens. Grabs his holy water, runs, wasn't even thinking why. He just did it. And when he gets to the front of the cars, there was a major accident, a teenage boy lying almost dead on the side of the road. And he said, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you want to be baptized? The child, the teenager wanted, requested baptism. So he baptized him on the side of the road right before death. And we believe that that person will be saved because of the grace God gives through baptism. He accepted Jesus and was baptized. And it's just amazing because the, the there's a huge story behind that. The priest was supposed to be on that highway two hours earlier, but kept getting delayed. And I just see God's providential hand in that so that this person could be saved. So baptism is crucial, guys. Um, 
So I want to actually transition into some of the other things that I wanted to talk about. I have a green screen up because um, the Faith in the Outdoors podcast, this is the last episode, and I've prayerfully considered the whole thing. So why am I doing the Faith in the Outdoors podcast? And I think I maybe even started to talk about this and then got sidetracked. I don't remember. But um, the reason I started it is because we are called to evangelize by the very nature of our baptism. If you are a baptized person, it is your responsibility to share the truth of Jesus to other people. And if you're not doing that, you are not living up to your role as a family member in God's family. We're called to share the truth to give other people a chance to accept the truth. It's supposed to be 100% integrated to, into every aspect of your life. So for me, the Faith in the Outdoors podcast is simply an expression of what is supposed to be there. Now, we live in a categorized culture, I'll say it. We put everything into a box. Uh, you have an outdoors YouTube channel, so you should only have outdoor stuff on your YouTube channel. Well, that is actually very far from the reality of the way God created us. The way God created us is that our faith is supposed to be fully integrated into every aspect of our entire lives, which means our faith should ooze out of us no matter where we are or what we're doing as the primal example of living as a family member in God's family. So all this is is an expression of me being a family member in God's family. This is me living my life the way God calls all of us to live our life. And um, so I've had people complain about that. And really what it shows is I've had you know people unsubscribe. Why? Because they don't want to be faced with having to make a choice about something they don't want to address right now. Because when it comes to faith, it's polarizing. You either believe or you don't believe. And if you believe, God is going to call you to constantly change. And because of our fallen human nature, we tend to resist change. We do. It's part of our fallen brokenness is to resist change. So even a very sincere follower of Jesus, let's say you've been reading your Bible and you believe in Jesus and you think that's all you need to do to be saved, and then God presents you with truths that require you to change the way you're living out your faith well, for many people, that's uncomfortable. It's going to cause them to have to change, and they don't necessarily want to change. They like things the way they are. And so what what are you going to do? You're either going to change or you're going to try to block out the things that remind you you need to change. So like the Faith in the Outdoors podcast has caused a lot of people to realize there's things about their faith that are incorrect, and they don't want to have to address it. So what are you going to do? You just turn that off so you don't have to hear it and be reminded. But guess what's going to happen? God's going to bring it back up again, and God will call you to change again somewhere else. So you can't, you can't run away from it forever. So, But anyway, when it comes to the grand scheme of my faith journey and what I'm doing in my life, uh, I've had some thoughts and prayers. I've been like, my focus and my passion is, Catholic evangelization. That's where my heart is. Hunting and archery are hobbies that I could drop today. Like I could totally give them both up today. In fact, I gave them up before for God. I joined a Catholic religious order after college and gave them up. And I gave, I gave my life to God. And in, while I was there, 
uh, God kind of told me, hey, uh, I want you to use these to reach people who I'm not able to reach otherwise. And so that's why I do what I do to begin with. But where, you know, so the, so that's related to some of the scenario here. And I've thought about starting a, a podcast on the new evangelization. And again, the one you're listening to right now is an expression of the new evangelization. Rather than people just say, you know what, I'm only interested in archery and hunting, and I just won't click on the religious podcast, the one that is clearly labeled as a religious podcast, rather than people just say, you know what, I'm just not going to click on those. I'll just wait for the next hunting or archery video. They unsubscribe or they get all up in arms and they complain in comments and things like that. So I've realized um, when it comes to that, I have I, I can solve a lot of things by making a change. And, and one of the other components that's solved is I've thought about starting a podcast for the new evangelization at some point. And I thought, you know, I'm paying to have this podcast hosted on a platform. And it's only one podcast that you can host on the platform. And if I want to have a second one, I have to pay, you know, twice as much basically to, to do that. And it becomes a lot to manage more than one podcast. So I've already, you know, thought like a while back, like maybe at some point I'll, I'll transition into the other one because it's going to be hard to run them both at the same time. And so with all these details, it makes sense for me to transition into the new evangelization podcast, exclusively call it that, start its own channel, things like that. And then what I'm going to do on my Sean's Outdoor Adventures is, let's say I'm doing a hunting video. I might just say, hey, I recently did a podcast on my new evangelization podcast channel on this topic, if you want to check it out. Just mention it, and if people want to go check it out, they can. Um, if not, just jump right back into or continue with the hunting or archery video. And so that way, I think by periodically mentioning topics – we might actually one day hit a topic where the person who already unsubscribed might, you know, just hearing a mention of it in an episode here um, might not scare them off, uh, but it, they might hear a topic one day that they're like, huh, I'm, I'm curious to hear. Like, for example, there's a lot of people who don't understand the whole process of annulments and a divorce. Like it says right in scripture, anyone who divorces and remarries is living in adultery, which is a mortal sin. And that is very serious. And there's a lot of Christians who, you know, don't realize if, you know, if they are living in mortal sin, they don't realize the ramifications of that. And so they don't understand the whole topic. So I'm probably going to do a podcast on that at some point. What is this whole thing and explain it in more detail with the annulments and all that, and there'll be a, and they might go listen to it, and that might be the only one they listen to. But anyway, that's going to be the new approach. So that's the purpose of the green screen. So behind the green screen, as you know, is my deer heads. And I was thinking, like for the Faith in the Outdoors podcast, it's great to have the deer. Actually, I'm going to take the green screen down. Hang on a second. In the Faith in the Outdoors podcast, we have all these deer heads, and that's kind of fitting and appropriate. But when I'm talking about just religion and uh, nobody, nobody in that category is going to want to be seeing deer heads. So I, I'm like, what am I going to do? So I broke out my old green screen, which is what I used to use before I finished my basement back when I lived in Pennsylvania. And I just had this unfinished basement. And it's the only place I had to record commentary. All the videos I used to do had the green screen. 
this thing's been folded up for so long, it's a wrinkly mess. I got to iron it. So anyway, I will um, keep this space. I'll put up the green screen and just do like some kind of artwork behind me or something. But that'll uh, solve that issue. So in the very beginning of this, I think I, I mentioned something about the Eagles. I'm just jumping around because I had various topics that I was planning to talk about and some that I did not and just popped in through the probably inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But let me just mention the Eagles sweatshirt. My sister gave this to me for Christmas. Thank you. Um, I grew up in the Philly area, so I was always an Eagles fan living out in the Midwest now. Uh, there's no professional teams out here, which has actually been nice because I don't have to um, deal with people giving me a hard time because there's so many. Everyone's a different a fan of a different team out here in Iowa because they don't have a team. But here's one of the nice things I've recognized. Uh, so the Eagles had a good year last year. This year, they're kind of falling apart. And I actually, they, they did better this year than I expected them to because they lost their offensive and defensive coordinators last year, which I knew was going to happen because they did so well. And then you never know what you're going to get this year. You got new coordinators. And the one of the big drawbacks with the Eagles is the head coach doesn't call the offense at all. And so not having that stability in that person, you just never know. You, you, you got a new offensive coordinator. You don't know how that person's going to do. And they've done okay, but they've also struggled with the defensive coordinators and they're, they've already swapped them out on the sidelines, things like that. So, um, so anyway, here is one of the cool things I realized after moving to Iowa is we very often cannot get the Eagles games out here. We usually have Green Bay or the Vikings or Chicago or Kansas City, you know, teams that are kind of more, you know, close to the Midwest area here where we live. And so what I've always done since then is I, after the game's over, I watch like a 10-minute highlight reel. So if they win the game, it's nice because you get to see them make a, bu a bunch of good plays and they win, hooray. And and if they lose, you just don't even bother watching. And that's the thing. So whether I like it or not, because I'm a natu naturally an Eagles fan from where I grew up, um, it's, it's very difficult for me to not get somewhat invested in a game. And if they, they have this whole game and they lose in the end or if they're just losing the whole time, it's hard to not – feel negative or feel down or feel sad, depressed, or whatever whatever word you want to put in there. And what I found is I'm much happier when it comes to football by not really watching the games. Like if, I, if they do well, I'll watch the highlight reel. And if they don't do well, I just won't even watch it. And I didn't have that whole prolonged period of uh, strain or whatever. So I'm mentioning that here for any football fans out there. Um, Really, when it comes to your spiritual life, the most important thing is to maintain peace and be um, be able to be loving toward others. And if we're grumpy and angry because our team didn't do well, it's hard to love others and be compassionate. And so it's not necessarily good for us. So there's some decisions that can be made for all of us there in that department. And so I mentioned that to you. Like if you're really invested in a team to the point where it's bringing you down, Maybe don't watch that team. If you want to watch a football game, I find for me, if I watch two teams that I don't really care about, I, I just cheer for the offense. Whoever's got the ball, I'm cheering for them. And then it doesn't matter who wins. You know, and kind of 
if if one team wins, great. If another team wins, great. And I haven't, there, you know, you don't walk away with any negativity. Or so anyway, I just incorporate that today in case there's any guys out there or girls who um, would benefit from an approach that way. And and if you feel like, oh, I c- I couldn't go without watching my favorite team. Well, that's something to take to prayer. You know, like God's the ultimate in our life. There should be. And if there's other things that are so pressing that we feel like we need and could also consistently bring us down in negativity, well, maybe it doesn't have a proper place in our lives. So anyhow, I want to transition now into two topics that were brought up. Actually, and I and I want to say this too, as I look down at my topics, I did talk about baptism earlier in this uh, episode, and for the other sacraments, like consecrating the host to become the body of Christ, the Eucharist at Mass, um, being able to forgive sins on behalf of Jesus in confession, anointing of the sick, you know, or even ordination to ordain another priest or bishop, all these things, they require ordination. So, if you're in, let's say, a Lutheran church, you don't have valid orders. Only a bishop can ordain someone into the the ordained ministry of orders. So like a priest, deacon, or bishop has the sacrament of holy orders. And it's through the imposition of hands of a bishop. All of the bishops who are alive today are direct successors to the 12 apostles. I'll repeat that. All of the bishops who are alive today are direct successors to the 12 apostles, They, which means the 12 apostles ordained successors, and we refer to them as bishops. And the bishops ordain other bishops, and to help the bishops in their role, they ordain priests and deacons to help them care for us, the family of God, the children of God, the children adopted through baptism. So only those individuals can do other sacraments. So the, in fact, only a bishop can ordain, as I said. So let's say for the Lutheran church, Martin Luther, who started the Lutheran church in the 16th century, he was a priest, so he could not ordain people into the ordained ministry. He was not a bishop. So they do not have the successing succession that comes from the apostles. They don't have the ability to do the sacraments that the only the ordained ministry can. And as I mentioned, baptism can be performed by anyone, and but all the other sacraments require the sacrament of holy orders. So that's why only a bishop can ordain another bishop or priest or deacon. A priest or deacon cannot ordain. Uh, a deacon can only baptize. A deacon can also be a witness at a wedding. But a marriage, sacrament of marriage, is the only sacrament that only the couple can perform. So a priest, deacon, or bishop does not perform the sacrament of marriage The couple performs the sacrament of marriage, and the priest or deacon or bishop is only a witness on behalf of the church and then can bless the marriage on behalf of the church. So a deacon can only baptize because anyone can baptize. 
uh, but a deacon can also serve at mass and preach the gospel, or pre, you know, preach the homily based on the scriptures or read the gospel as well. So a priest can sac- can offer the holy sacrifice of the mass, which means consecrate the bread and so that it becomes the body of Christ, the Eucharist. A priest can baptize, obviously. A priest can do the sacrament of the anointing of the sick. A priest can hear confession, hear you confess your sins, and has the keys, the power oh, given by Jesus Christ to forgive on his behalf. And that's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 22 and 23, I believe. Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on the apostles and said, Receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them whose sins you retain are retained. So they had to hear the sin confessed to be able to tell if they should forgive or retain it. Why would they retain it? If someone is not authentically sorry for their sins, then they could be counseled on that and say, look, I don't know why you're here. You're clearly not sorry for your sins. You're you're not making an act of true repentance. Do you truly want to be forgiven of these sins? And if so, we need to talk about what will be what you need to do to be able to reach a true, sincere, heartfelt repentance here. And so they could, and if the person genuinely wanted to be forgiven, they could, you know, talk about what needs to happen. And then when they reach true repentance, then they could try again in a sense and then be forgiven of the sin. So like, if you're not genuinely sorry, you know, like if, if I break your window of your house and I say, I, I don't care. Uh, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, by the way, sorry, just because I'm supposed to say that, but I don't care. I don't care about you. I, you know, Are you going to feel like I'm genuinely sorry for breaking your window, or you're going to still feel hurt by it? You'll probably still feel hurt by it. So, But if I say, look, I, you know, I was in a bad place, and I, what I did was wrong, and I realize that now, and I am really sorry for breaking your window, and I need to change. I, I need to change. I want to pay for the window. I'm sorry for it, and I need to change. And, and please be patient with me as I'm trying to change as a person. Do you see the difference there? Well, that's the purpose of the ministry is, is in the process of bringing the person to true repentance, they also have the power to forgive on God's behalf. So when you're in, if you're in a different church, a non-Catholic church like a Baptist church, a Lutheran church, um, uh, whatever, you know, Whatever, whatever non-denomination or denomination you want to say, they don't have valid orders, and so you don't have the fullness of grace that God wants to provide through these sacraments. That's another reason why you should be Catholic. Now, I had someone commenting on my other videos. It seemed like they were realizing that what I was saying was true, but for whatever reason, they didn't want to be Catholic. They wanted to hopefully find it wherever they were at. So there's deeper emotional and spiritual reasons for that hesitation. And those are the things that need to be brought to the Lord in prayer and say, Lord, look, these are the reasons why I have a hard time imagining coming to your church, the Catholic church. Help me, heal me. That You need to ask Jesus for healing in those areas because there's a wound or, or something deeper there. And so prayer is necessary in asking for God's help in that area. Now, I want to talk about papal infallibility because this is related to a lot of what's difficult for some people. Now, I had one person commenting something about holy orthodoxy and that the Pope isn't you know, the leader of the church and all this. 
And here's something I have observed over my years of evangelizing and being uh, in, my, in my position that I am in the faith. And what people don't realize who watch the Sean's Outdoor Adventures YouTube channel is I have really kind of hidden my faith, the extent of it for a long time, and just gently say, God bless you here and there. But I am an intense Catholic, and I am a passionate evangelist in the Catholic Church. And in fact, I've been street evangelizing since 1996. Folks, 1996, I started going out into the streets, preaching Jesus and proclaiming the Catholic faith and inviting people to be Catholic, I should say. And that's been who I am. And you didn't really see that for a long time in the Sean's Outdoor Adventures because I kept it a very quiet. I, I did what other people have been suggesting, like keep it separate, keep it separate from this. And I do have a Catholic YouTube channel that I started actually before I started Sean's Outdoor Adventures. And this channel got so busy, I, ne I never went back to it. I have videos up there. If you want to go back and see these videos that are years and years old, you can. I explain all these different things in the Catholic, like why do Catholics, you know, what's this whole deal about Mary? What's going on? Why do Catholics view her as special? Why do Catholics pray to saints? You know, all, all kinds of videos. I'll, I'll put a link for that channel in the description of this one. And whenever I do start the new podcast, I'll put a link for that in the description so you can go and um, follow that. So you'll have resources there. But anyhow, what I have observed over my years is that people who are very often very religiously minded are looking at the Catholic Church from a perspective of how can I how can I point a finger here? Like, where can I find a flaw? Where can I find a reason to not think that this is Jesus's church? So for this individual, he was saying that the, the church made up these different teachings. Like, let's call, like, let's talk about papal infallibility. Like the church made that up later or the church never had a Pope that was made up later. I've heard that in evangelization conversations. And the reason why they think this is because of the way they're, they're looking at history. They're trying to find some way to discredit the Catholic Church. Now, the, the Church has always viewed Peter and his successors as the leaders of the Church, the, the ultimate head figure of the Church. And this actually comes from the Old Testament. Jesus is a king from the line of David, and I've talked about this already, so I'll just briefly summarize it. Jesus is a king from the line of David, which means his kingdom is going to resemble the kingdom of David. And in David's kingdom, in a Davidic kingdom, there was one person who was given the keys of the kingdom, and that person had the authority of the king to, to speak on behalf of the king if the king was ever not there. And in the Davidic kingdom, the mother of the king was the queen of the kingdom. So... You see that in the Catholic Church. We, we say Mary is the queen of heaven and earth. She is, and, and that's probably going to really upset a lot of people. There is an, a deeper explanation to that. But it begins here in the Old Testament with what God prefigured with his chosen person, David, and the kingdom that grew out of David's kingdom. So there's one person who is the over the household, and has the keys of the king. That 
was prefigured and it was prophesied in the Old Testament. So you have to know who King Hezekiah was. He was the best king from the line of David. There were so many kings that led the people astray. He was one who led people back to God and broke down the false pagan or practices, the idols and all this. He, he got did away with a lot of that and was trying to direct people back to God. His prime minister who had the keys to the kingdom was Eliakim, son of Hilkiah. And Isaiah prophesied of the Pope in God's kingdom, the person over the household who had the keys of authority to speak on behalf of the king if the king is absent. And that's Isaiah 22, 20, 24. Jesus fulfilled that in Matthew 16, verses 13 through 19. And if you notice in Matthew 16, 13 through 19, God the Father in heaven gave a direct revelation to Peter alone, not to anybody else on earth, but to Peter alone. And Jesus recognizing that said, you are rock. He changed his name to rock at that moment in Matthew's gospel. If you read the gospel of Matthew from the beginning, he is called Simon or Simon called Peter so that the reader understood who they were referring to up until the moment where Jesus changed his name to Peter. So the reason why the writer had to do that is because everyone knew Peter as the head of the church. And who's this Simon figure? Well, Simon, who is called Peter, is how he's referred to so that the reader understands who we're referring to. And the Gospels were written in decades after the church started. And everybody living in the church knew that Peter was the head of the church. So there is a specific reason why Peter is always listed first anytime Peter and other apostles are named or mentioned at the same time. If Peter, James, and John are ever mentioned, Peter is specifically put first every time because Peter was the leader of the church while the Gospels were being written. So anyhow... It here's where I would say even maybe the devil has played on this whole thing is how can we discredit this? Well, in about the fourth century, I think it was, one of the successors of Peter, now Peter became the bishop of Rome. That is where he established his office. And the leader of the church is the bishop of Rome. He's always the bishop of Rome. That is the successor. And Around, like I said, right around the fourth century, maybe fifth century, I forget the exact time, but the affectionate term Papa or Pope, as we refer to it, as we pronounce it now, Pope was given to the father of the church. And Pope means father or Papa, you know, like that father figure of the church. And there's people who miss interpret there's a scripture passage in Matthew I think it's chapter 23 maybe where Jesus says call no man on earth father you have one father in heaven call no one master you have but one master and no, call no one teacher yeah, things like that but they hang on that father one they they forget the other ones and say let's hang on that father one no you you catholics call your priest father that's that goes against scripture but that's not what Jesus meant by the passage what he meant by the passage is all authority comes from God, the Father in heaven. It doesn't come from earth. All authority comes from God in heaven. And I'll readdress that in a second. Jesus himself referred to Abraham as father. And if it was a sin to refer to a human as father, then Jesus sinned. 
And we know that Jesus did not sin, which means people who have tried to say that it's a sin or wrong to call a person father, you're misunderstanding the passage. And Jesus makes that clear by calling Abraham father, and Jesus did not sin. So Paul also calls himself father. I believe in writing to the Corinthians, he said, I became your father in faith. Why did he do that? Because the leaders of the church, even from the time the scriptures were being written, saw themselves as father figures. And so that is why spiritual fatherhood is what, that's how the name father began to be assigned to leader, spiritual leaders of the church. So for the pope, which means father, he was the first given that affectionate term, papa, pope. And that happened, like I said, somewhere around the 4th or 5th century. So some people reading into history, trying to find a way to discredit, said, look, there was no such thing as a pope till the church invented it around the 4th or 5th century. But that is actually misunderstanding the, the history of it all. There has always been one leader of the church who has the keys of authority to speak on Jesus' behalf. It is the Bishop of Rome, the successor of Peter. Taking it a step further, this person has the keys of authority to bind on earth and in heaven, Jesus said. He has the power to bind on earth and in heaven. Think about that authority and power. Now, we had to define what does it mean for the Pope to be infallible. So, there is a dogmatic proclamation that came about much later in the church because of confusion and questioning in the church. They needed to, there's always been a belief of Peter having the keys of authority to bind on earth and heaven. He has the authority of Jesus. But what does it mean exactly? It doesn't say it clearly in the Bible, as the Bible doesn't say a lot of other things clearly. But the, what it means for the Pope to be infallible is when the Pope makes a definitive proclamation in the areas of faith and morals, he is preserved from error. So if, if there's a dogmatic proclamation, we know that it's true and that we have to follow it. So when a pope makes a definitive proclamation in the areas of faith and morals, we believe he is preserved from error. But if you're watching the news and the pope says something in the news, that doesn't mean he's infallible. It doesn't mean the pope isn't going to sin because the pope is going to sin. We're all sinners. We need to constantly try to grow closer to God and seek forgiveness for the ways we fail. Now, the fact that the church had to define what it means for the Pope to be infallible does not mean the church invented this whole idea. It's something that has always been there from the time Jesus gave the keys of authority to bind on earth and in heaven, but they didn't fully expound on that. What does that mean until later on? it became necessary to elaborate and clearly define what does it mean for the Pope to be infallible. And it's, as, as I said, I just gave you the explanation. So that's what the, the definition is and the history. But if we just look at it from where does this term infallibility, papal, these well, two terms, papal infallibility, where does that first appear? It's not going to be while Peter was still alive because at that time, they didn't need to fully define it, but the understanding was there. The understanding was that Peter had the ultimate authority in the church. He's the leader of the church. And when it comes to a matter of faith and morals, if there's a discrepancy, they 
what they would do is like they had the first council, they would have a council, and ultimately it's Peter's the one who has to give the okay. Even if one of the other apostles stands up to give the the summary of what they're going to be teaching, the Pope is the one who gives the final okay, and it's always been that way in the church. And that understanding of papal infallibility had to be more clearly defined at a point in time. So if you look at history and you see a term in the Catholic Church pop up that you didn't see before, oh, look, the church is inventing teachings. The church is not inventing teachings. The church is clarifying what she has always believed. So even before the church defined the Bible, what books should be held in the Bible, and in fact, the, the Catholic Church and the bishops are the ones who define what books should be in the Bible. And it was only Martin Luther in the 16th century who began to try to remove some of those books. But the, the, um, the bishops defined a list of books in like the 4th century. Before that, there was no Bible like we have it now. But there were questions that came up, so they would have to have councils. So the question of how is it that Jesus can be God and man? Is he half God, half man? Is he, you know, things like that. The the bishops convened, prayerfully held a council, led by the Holy Spirit, came to a conclusion, and the Pope has to approve whatever the conclusion is for it to be basically given the authority of approval from God that this is a definitive truth. If the Pope doesn't give his approval, a bishop's counsel is, doesn't have weight. And this is what the one person who was commenting was trying to argue, is that the Pope is just one of, among many. He's not just one among many. He's the one who has the ultimate authority, as explained in Scripture, as the one over the household. And the person even used the word hierarchy. Hierarchy means there's levels. Like, it's... it hierarchy means there are different designations. Some are higher than others, with the Pope being the highest position in the church, the one with ultimate authority. So at a bishop's council, like um, I had talked about in a previous podcast, the fact that the Bible doesn't explain how it is possible for God to be one, yet a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is three separate entities, but the Bible says God's one. And a lot of people didn't realize what I was even asking because they didn't realize because it's not in the Bible. The way that God can be one yet three is that God has one divine nature with three separate persons. So the Trinity, uh, Trinity is a word the Catholic Church made up to help explain this. So they didn't invent the teaching on the Trinity. They used the word. They basically invented the word to try to help explain a reality that was revealed by God and is in Scripture, but isn't fully explained how it can be possible. So the church says that the Trinity is one God because The God we have shares one divine nature, but has three separate persons. Now, within that, when it comes to Jesus Christ becoming man, what does that mean? Again, the church had to define what that means because it's not stated in Scripture. The church had to define that Jesus is both fully God and fully man. Jesus always existed as the Word of God 
but at one point in time took on human nature and in doing so combined humanity with divinity. And when we eat the body of God, the body of God becomes one with our body, which means God draws us into the very existence of the Trinity. God, through Jesus, makes us one with him. We are not gods ourselves. We are still separate persons, separate entities, but we become, we are drawn into and become partakers in the Trinity, in, in, a, in the oneness with God, which is so utterly mind-blowing that I can't even address it right now. But that's what happens when you receive Jesus in the Eucharist, and the devil does not want you to have that and will stop at nothing to keep you from that. So when it comes to this thing, like the, like these words that I'm talking about, Jesus becoming fully God and fully man, the, church, the term the church gave to this is the hypostatic union, where God unified humanity with divinity in himself. Which, I mean, it's just utterly mind-blowing. So this isn't articulated in the Bible, which is what I was trying to get at in that particular episode. And non-Catholics who don't even realize these details weren't getting me. And they were pointing to scripture passages that mention that God is one and also mention Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yes, the Bible does mention that God is one and mentions three names, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But it doesn't say, how is it possible for God to be one, yet we may name three. And I just explained through the teachings of the Catholic Church that were guided by the Holy Spirit, because Jesus Christ himself said to the apostles in John chapter 16, I have much more to tell you, but you cannot bear to hear it now. That is why I'm sending the Holy Spirit who will guide you to all truth. When did the Holy Spirit get sent? After Jesus ascended to heaven and the Spirit came at Pentecost. So, um, one other thing I wanted to address in this episode is this idea of Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. And that is 100% true. That is what the Catholic Church teaches, that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man and humanity. Do you know what the difference between mediator and intercessor is? Question mark. Do you know what the difference is between mediator and intercessor? Jesus is the only mediator, but scripture even commands us to intercede for one another. You and I are commanded by Almighty God in scripture to intercede for one another, which means we are to pray for one another to God. If you have cancer... Do you not ask other people to pray for you if you are a Christian? Absolutely. Do you believe that once once you are in Christ, you are in Christ, always in Christ? Most Christians would say yes to that. Do you believe that someone who is with God in heaven is more fully alive than we are? They are unified with God in heaven. Someone in heaven no longer sleeps, is perfected in God's love, is not bound by sin or temptation, and Scripture says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful indeed. These people are as righteous as it can be, and they are fully alive, and because of the grace of God, they can totally hear us. Like, if I die today, I can, I can guarantee you my family will pray through my intercession. They'll say, Sean, please pray for me. 
da 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 and whatever it is. And maybe someday there will be, I'll be dead and gone, and there will be hunters who will pray through my intercession to help them find a deer or to help them get a deer. Maybe someday. I don't know, but God knows. The point is, we can ask for people to pray for us, and death doesn't separate us from being part of the body of Christ. In fact, the people who are perfected in heaven don't sleep. They're perfected. Their, power, their prayers are powerful. The church has always known that, and the church has always approached them asking for their prayers. Anything that's granted is through the power of God, but they are just interceding for us, which is different between that and the one mediator, which is Jesus Christ. I hope you can see the difference there. Um, And that's why the church prays through the intercession of saints. Now, I have always prayed through the intercession of St. Anthony when I lose something. I was helping someone yesterday with a blood trail. It was his first hit deer. It was a gut shot, so we were really struggling at times to figure out which way the deer went. We were losing the trail at times. And I said, dear St. Anthony, please come around. This deer is lost and cannot be found. Dear St. Anthony, please help us with this blood trail. I am not exaggerating, and I say with absolute seriousness and reality, as I prayed it, I saw a streak of red in the side of my vision right here. Like I was, I was just looking like this, and I saw a streak of red. So I went over to where I saw the streak of red and there was blood on the ground. We re-found the blood trail. And I was like, thank you, St. Anthony. Like I had an actual experience while tracking. We did not end up finding deer. I had to leave, unfortunately, because I had to watch the kids. My wife had to get to the doctors and end the work. So I had to leave. But finding that that direction the deer went enabled us to track the deer for several hundred more yards. If we had not found that, we would have been stuck there. And so um, he learned a lot through the whole experience, and we did continue to learn a lot about what the deer was doing as we tracked. The point, though, is that we can and do ask saints to pray for us. You don't have to. Catholics do, and I have experienced the benefit of my family in heaven interceding for me. That's what this is, folks. As I mentioned before, when you are baptized, you become a child of God in the family of God, and death does not separate us from our family members. And we are all called to intercede for one another. So that's what's happening with the whole thing with intercession. Intercession is different than the one mediator. The only mediator is Jesus Christ. So Jesus mediates between God and us and says, Father, for the sake of the passion that I went through in my humanity, forgive them. And the Father, because of his son seeing the humanity that his son took on, he grants forgiveness through the one mediator and through the one sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is mediating between himself and the Father for our salvation. But we are called to intercede for one another because that's part of being in the family of God. All right, so I, ooh, I've gone on here, and I, there's more I could say, but I'm going to close out this final episode of the Faith in the Outdoors podcast. And you know what? There was one thing I said earlier in the podcast that I, I said I was going to get back to, and I can't remember what it was. 
Um, so I apologize for that. I think it was related to the priesthood, but I can't remember now. But there's plenty of information in this podcast to uh, absorb and pray with. And that's actually, you know what, I should conclude with that. Because one thing that God has helped me see clearly through doing this podcast and is one of the great values of it is we always grow in our own faith when we do something for God to try to help others in their faith. And I have come to see more clearly than ever that the dividing line in disciples of Jesus is over the Eucharist. If you read the entire four Gospels, all four Gospels, which is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ himself, you will see that the one place where Jesus allows his disciples to leave and even invites the 12 apostles to leave is the teaching on the Eucharist as portrayed in John chapter 6, verses 51 all the way to the end. I believe it goes to 72 verses. But if you read that, Jesus gives the preaching that I've been begging you to pray with. He gives the teaching that we must eat his flesh and drink his blood. Maybe that's what I was referring to. I don't know. But how can God become one with humanity? He would have to make himself ingestible because the food we eat literally becomes part of our own flesh and blood, our own body. How could God become one with our body and make our body one with his body? He would have to become human, take on a human body, and make that body ingestible. Now, obviously, it would be grotesque to have to eat a raw piece of human flesh. That's why Jesus says, you must have faith in my teachings. Now, do you believe Jesus has the power to do any miracle? I do. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope you do too. Do you believe that Jesus, if he wanted to, could change bread into his body to make it possible for us to become one with him? I do believe that. Now, do you believe Jesus wanted to make it as easy as possible for us to be able to do that? I do. That is why he leaves it in the appearance of bread, although he changes the substance into his body. So the Catholic teaching on this is that the substance changes to the body of Christ, although the appearance remains as bread, to make it as easy as possible for us to be united with Almighty God. Because unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them, just as the living Father sent me and I have life because of the Father. Whoever feeds on me will have life because of me. Those are the words of Jesus in John 6, 51 through 58. And it makes complete sense in the context of everything I just said. And the devil doesn't want you to have that. I want you to have that. That's why I did the Faith in the Outdoors podcast. If you want to continue to follow my religious teaching and sharing of the Catholic faith or whatever, I will provide a link for the new podcast when it comes out, and I will label it as such. I will say, hey, this is the new podcast on for the new evangelization, and then I'll provide a link for that. Until that time, I will refer you to my other YouTube channel, which has old videos and, and stuff, but still some information there if you want it. 
So that is the Faith in the Outdoors podcast. We're, we're bringing it home. Praise to Almighty God for giving me the courage to do his will and bring you this podcast. And thanks be to God for the ability to continue to grow. And uh, I will continue to share my faith in everything I do. And for right now, I will continue to post hunting and archery videos on the Sean's Outdoor Adventures YouTube channel for one reason and one reason only, because I feel as though God has asked me to. There's many times where, guys, I don't even feel like hunting sometimes, but I do it for the Lord. Why do you do it? Hopefully you will get to the point where you can say, I'm doing this for the Lord. God bless you.